Welcome to The Nonprofit Voice, a podcast series brought to you by Nonprofit Pro, the go-to resource for nonprofit management and strategy. In each episode, we're going to sit down with leaders of nonprofit organizations, the people responsible for paving the way for our sector, along with key technology strategy partners who are transforming our industry. Here at the Nonprofit Voice, we'll have refreshing conversations in which we will all learn more about the convergence of nonprofit and technology. Be sure to follow us on social media and visit our website to find more episodes of the Nonprofit Voice. And you can download all of the Nonprofit Voice episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We will have all the links down below. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Voice. My name is New T and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Nonprofit Pro and I'll be your host for today's episode. And as always, I'm so happy that you could join us today. So on the line with me today, we have Dan Klaskins, Digital Marketing Supervisor at Disabled American Veterans, and Chris Dingus, Senior Client Success Manager at Hustle. Hey, you two. Welcome to the show. How are you both doing today? Doing great, Nee. Thanks for having us. Uh, looking forward to talking with you today. Yeah, thanks so much. Excited to chat with you and Dan. Um, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Um, so before we jump into today's topic, I usually get started by getting our audience more acquainted with our guests on the show. So Dan, I'll get started with you. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself, You know, the background, how you got into the nonprofit sector, and more about that itself. Definitely uh, a story of finding a purpose, right? Uh, I think many of, of my coworkers at DAV share the same passion of just making a difference in our daily life. So I started in what back then was called internet marketing. I think uh, I started in it so long ago that, that we one of the things I dealt with early on was actually talking about Y2K. So uh, it, it's evolved quite a bit over over the years, to, to say the least, uh, a lot of changes in evolution. But I've been at DAV now uh, a little over six and a half years, and uh, it was really, um, really just a, a point. I was just about to, on my 40th birthday, uh, you know, a new decade of life, I don't know, midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it, but uh, left a pretty comfortable life. I was an entrepreneur uh, really for well over a decade, uh, had a pretty comfortable thing going on and something I was passionate about, fantasy sports. Um, mm-hmm fantasy football in particularly. Uh, we, we did a lot of consulting for all types of businesses, but at the end of the day, I, I wanted to do something a little bit more meaningful. And I certainly have found that here in the nonprofit space and found it with an organization like DAV, where you know we help a million veterans in life-changing ways every single year. And it, it's just great to, to see some of my skills, um, some of my things that I'm passionate about come to life in this new way. I love that. And I, I really appreciate just hearing those types of stories because I think that's what the nonprofit sector brings. It gives a sense of meaningfulness and, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of passion because it's ultimately for, for social good. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so, Chris, tell us more about yourself and about Hustle. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I got my start in the political world um, right out of college. Went and worked on a big presidential campaign. Um, also was hoping um, to make a big difference in like the work I do. And I was I was always I was in the field organizing space. So I was like always working with people directly on the ground. Was kind of the face of the campaign. Um, and did that for several years, moving from state to state, um, different campaigns. And yeah, it's it's exhausting work. Um, 
60, 70 hour weeks. Um, but I always felt that the work I did um, helped bring about some great positive change. And then, um, yeah, after I was kind of tired and um, didn't think I could do one more campaign, I hustled this like new peer-to-peer -peer texting platform um, that I had used like once in a campaign I was working for was hiring. Um, so I applied, got the job, and then started out hustle about three years ago working with political campaigns um, and state parties um, in like the Northeast and the Midwest. Um, so I was able to kind of take that like practical skills that I learned on the job and help a lot of different campaigns kind of utilize peer-to-peer -peer texting, this like new technology and integrate it into their campaigns. Um, but yeah, I've been a hustle three years now, have made the transition from working with political folks to shifting over and working with a broad range of nonprofits at Hustle. Um, and yeah, we work with folks from really small, like, I don't know, like two to three person teams to nonprofits to the really, really large folks and folks like Dan. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been, um, it's been great um, working and helping folks kind of yeah. utilize tech um, and implement it into their existing programs um, and kind of guide them in that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great to hear. It's always, I mean, for not for me too at Nonprofit Pro, I work with a lot of different types of nonprofit organizations as well as different sizes. Um, obviously, there's a smaller side and then obviously the larger side, like um, the one that Dan's working in right now. Um, and it's just nice to get that experience in. And especially right now with the evolution and the fast growing field of technology, I think the, the sky's the limit at this point. Um, great. So I'm so happy to have you both on today's episode. As many of our listeners probably know, and Chris, as you know, we partner together, Hustle Nonprofit Pro, we partner together to produce this year's Nonprofit Leadership Impact Study. And we wanted to kind of talk through some of the key findings today and, you know, share some of what we found, but also dive into some of the the key trends that were discovered within the study. So let's just dive right in. You know, my first question, maybe Chris, you can kick us off here. You know, with so many nonprofits right now constrained by money, and in the study, we found that 40% of nonprofits are struggling with like the lack of resources. How can nonprofits leverage other tools to help them fundraise? Yeah, I think that is a great question. Um, yeah, folks are, you know, like it's been a long year, folks are tired, been doing a lot of tough work um, in the circumstances of the past year. And I think um, kind of thinking outside the box and thinking about technologies that kind of meet people where they are. Um, obviously I work in the peer-to-peer -peer texting space and everyone's on their phone all day, every day. Um, and so thinking about ways where they can communicate with their supporters um, in a channel that they check regularly, are interacting with regularly, um, and also can make their life easier. Um, so being able to communicate with lots of people um, in a short time frame in an efficient way is something that um, folks should think about when thinking about adapting new tools into their suite of products. Awesome. Dan, did you have anything to add? No, I mean, I think we've all been stuck in situations where maybe we haven't had the best tools available. So I, I think during my time, not just here at the AV, but as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. really just 
maximizing the use out of your tools that you do have, right? Mm -hmm. um, knowing the full features, knowing how to use them, because you really do have to get the most out of things. But I think as exciting and, and great as digital is and, and technology in general, it's also a little frustrating because things are always evolving. So as soon as you get the newest tool in the suite, there's always another one out there. So for me, what I always try to sell to the leaders of our organization is we can have great ideas, but great ideas need great tools. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the idea could be as only as good as the tool. If you, if you don't reach your audiences and, and ultimately uh, it doesn't do its job. But I think in terms of, making the best of what you have. And if I offer any advice, it's when you are on a limited budget, because all organizations of all sizes have ultimately budgets they manage, you really have to prioritize and feel like what's going to be the tools that are most necessary to get you to achieve the goals at hand. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, but, you know, I think what you said about just the landscape right now, it's like when you finally get that hot new tool, Something else is coming out and it's maybe a lot different, it's maybe a lot better. But I think just, you know, what I tell people when I talk to different types of organizations is like, just look at look at what you need um, within your organization and then just go from there. It just doesn't make sense to bite off more than you, more than you can chew and then you have, you have spent all this money on technology and you're not even utilizing it the way it should be used. Um, yeah, I think that's it. And I think the other thing is, too, is understand that at the end of the day, uh, you've got this tool and uh, that tool is the one that you're going to use. And a lot of times when we look at it to build those RIs, the dollar signs are what we look at first. But mm -hmm. sometimes you get what you pay for it is uh, the expression that, uh, you know, so many of us use. And, and that is indeed the case sometimes with tools. So cheapest and most affordable doesn't always equal what's going to be best in the long run. So mm -hmm. lots of things to consider. Yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of want to backtrack here. And Chris, you said something earlier um, that I wanted to dive into. You know, we've everybody, nonprofits, for-profits, us, we've had a really hard year last year. And I think um, it was an eye-opener for a lot of people. So my next question for you both is, you know, what other funding opportunities can nonprofits look into? And Dan, I would love to hear, I mean, if you can share your experience at DAV. Yeah, more more other ways and opportunities just to generate revenue is, mm -hmm. is essentially what we're all trying to, to crack the nut on. I call it the ways to give, right? Um, and coming, you know, and we're certainly seeing it at the organization I work for at DAV. I mean, we've had a very successful fundraising program for decades now. Uh, it's been driven mostly by direct mail. And I think um, what you've really seen evolve on, on our fundraising team over the last, you know, several years is just more in different ways to give. I mean, we have our car donation program now that is just doing gangbusters. And obviously, I mean, our major gifts and bequest giving and all that, uh, fueling it up and increasing corporate partnerships. Um, mm -hmm. Now we're seeing events uh, as well really start to take off. And even during COVID, seeing some of our in-person events turn a little bit more virtual has sort of made us pivot uh, the way we look at those things. But the idea is, let the donors donate their way. You know, uh, I think sp specifically as you get into some of the younger uh, demographics of that donor profile, I mean, they want to do it their way. And, uh, you know, what we want to do is try to get there. And 
allow them to to um, support the organization in a way that that they're comfortable with, and uh, one that you know we're hitting them in places that they're at with that message as well. And you know we have a lot of different new initiatives, some that uh, we're working on launching now, some that are already been launched, and uh, it's just crazy to think about the growth and the number of ways to give, not just to our organization, but many other nonprofits uh, dipping their toes in many of these waters. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Chris, how about you? Um, I know you work with a number of nonprofits. I know you it's just like at the technology company, you offer different ways to give. What are your thoughts on offering different charitable giving options to donors? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a great question. I think Dan brought up a really good point in meeting folks where they are. Um, and I think that one way and one thing I've seen be way more successful in the past year is um, folks have started to really focus on relational fundraising programs outside of, like the traditional like pleas to one-time donors um, reaching folks where they are and people are way more likely to support causes when they're asked by friends and people they already know um, so kind of utilizing that mindset and reaching out donors with maybe asking for them to throw a birthday fundraiser on Facebook for their friends and network um, or even developing maybe fundraising toolkits on their website that they can share with existing donors and supporters and helping give them the resources to kind of be their own fundraisers and be their own advocates for your organizations. Um, I think it's much more expensive to recruit new one-time donors, so really cultivating those existing supporters you have and maybe upgrading them to recurring donors or yearly givers um, is a great way where folks can really focus um, on their plans for the next year um, and utilize those really like personal touch points like texting um, to reach out to those folks. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think one of the things that really solidifies solidifies it for nonprofits is having a good strategy in place and just using that as a guideline throughout the year and throughout the campaigns and the initiatives. Um, but one of the things we found in the study is that over 50% of nonprofits aren't developing strategic plans for their fundraising initiatives. Um, so Dan, I wanted to pose that question for you. Like, wh like why do you think this is? That is an interesting question. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think it's, you find that really in any, any industry. I think uh, nonprofits certainly are a little bit behind on the corporate side, but success just doesn't happen. You have to plan for it. And once again, uh, playing up in the, the entrepreneurial world that I sort of came from and, and uh, the roots for me were, were grown. And, and that is, you always are planning the work. It's always about plan the work, work the plan. I do think at some point you have to start doing things though, rather than just talking about them. And I, I talk to so many young people specifically, uh, just whatever career path they're trying to get into. And, and sometimes just starting to do something is actually progress in itself. It's funny. I said that about podcasting. Uh, you know, when I first started podcasting, it was literally on an iPod. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember what that was, but I, remember. <laughs> I, could, I could tell you the year was 2004 and it was quite expensive to uh, get a digital sound out of there and I talked about it for literally months about oh, I'm gonna start doing these podcasts I'm start doing and finally uh, one of my mentors said to me well what's stopping you I mean just start doing and, and I did I just started doing it. next thing you know I was doing them in a closet and, you know with all these podcasts and but it was great because once we start doing it we start doing it and I think with nonprofits uh, and other large uh, organizations and, and you know or even small organizations of all types sometimes 
a lot of ideas get out there, but getting them off the ground is a little hard. And when you start things without the proper planning, you're setting yourself up for failure before it even happens. So I think too, the other part of that uh, need that I would definitely say is sometimes you have failures, but mm -hmm. learning from them can actually help you get on the path to something very successful. It all has to start with the vision though. And back to what I said before, plan the work, work the plan. Yep, I think that's a great point. You know, obviously failure is scary and no one wants to do it, but how can you grow and learn if you don't do it? And that's just like kind of failure is a gateway to success. You know, as Yeah, the and the other thing is testing, right? I mean, at DAV, I, I mean, success doesn't happen by accident. Uh, I mean, we've had testing as a very important part of our process and fundraising for several, several, several years now. And mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, more people, uh, sometimes, yeah, you do stumble upon things, but ultimately uh, there is a science to it. And I think relying on those types of results and before you go all in on something, uh, testing the waters a little bit, getting as many learnings as you can always can uh, help down that path to success. Definitely. How about you, Chris? Any? Uh, I know you guys read the study and I'm sure you guys were also surprised at that. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. I mean, I think in terms of planning out, I think, I mean, especially right now, we're all guilty of this too in our personal lives. I mean, I'm not making any plans for anything else in the next few months. Um, but I, and I think the folks I work with, especially the past couple of years, uncertainty is like a huge issue um, with not wanting to like, be too rigid in their plans um, or putting energy into a plan where six months from now, like they might have to switch up every single thing they're planning on doing. And so I think that is a huge problem that folks are facing, um, especially with what their work looks like for the next one to three years. Yeah, for sure. And so now I wanted to dive into, you know, one of the things that I think is when I each, we've done this study like four years in a row and it's kind of the same trend of, a lot of nonprofits aren't planning ahead and not setting out some kind of template for the year um, and for their campaigns. And I think they're overwhelmed by the process because they have so much going on. And, you know, it's like nonprofits are already strapped for resources and staff. And so I think that they're not carving out the time to do so. So, you know, what are your tips? Um, Chris, I'll start with you. What are your tips you can give to a nonprofit that feels overwhelmed yeah. by the process? Yeah, and I think we definitely um, have a similar, or we had a similar mindset too on like our team at Hustle, like with the client success team, um, and kind of as our as we've like planned for the future. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, your the strategic planning should be a north star um, about how you think about your work. Um, and not necessarily like this like rigid, unmovable plan. Um, regardless of when you're making your plan, what you're planning for, you're always gonna have to make changes on the fly. Like with testing, if it goes a certain way, um, or you have new tools or new specific opportunities, um, your planning should not be something that you spend a ton of time on and be super rigid, but be really flexible um, and kind of guide the way you think about your work and implement it. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think understanding your goals is the first part, right? And mm -hmm. I think uh, a lot of folks, uh, when they take on a new initiative, uh, there are a lot of goals. Maybe they're not clearly defined, but having them defined, written down, agreed upon by all the stakeholders, uh, that's good. Because once you have your goals, you can really then more easily identify where the priorities are in the situation. And I think once those are both identified, it's much easier to lay out the plan I talked about. So I think in terms of making it more digestible and tips I would give is, you know, 
do a phased approach. Um, some, you know, some level of goal setting uh, that's realistic. Um, some, some types of accountability uh, at each stage of that uh, of essence. But by phasing it out and, and doing it in more chunks, it becomes more digestible. I think over time. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, it's different for every organization, right? They have different goals. Um, they have different variables. They have different missions. So there's obviously not a one-size-fits-all approach to building out these types of fundraising strategies. But is there any like advice or like is there a starter guide or a template that nonprofits could use, especially if they're just starting out and they want to dive into the strategic planning bit of it? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's certainly not a one-size-fits-all approach. And I don't even think, you know, it's the same size even matters. You know, each organization's unique. So mm-hmm. I think uh, with that, you know, even team members in organizations are unique. Uh, if you're an organization long enough and you see the team turnover, I mean, some of the, some of that type of stuff changes all on its own. But for me, I would say, um, I don't really have a template or a starter guide, but you know, just try to be collaborative and utilize as much of your resources as possible. Um, you know, I know at our organization, we do a lot of stuff on our fundraising team, but if we weren't working really closely with our communications team and, you know, some of our external agencies and on those marketing things, uh, you know, and, and really just in line with it, then it gets a little challenging. But uh, as you're getting into different strategies um, and templates, I also think it gets into like what specific type of fundraising are we talking about, right? If it's something that is more uh, established, um, that there's a lot of research and, and there's a lot of information on it. It's really easy to um, define that and and develop a plan around it. But a lot of the stuff I deal with, I mean, in a lot of cases, are very, very new initiatives. Like hardly any organizations are doing these types of things. So it's a different approach when you're getting into that. So I think it all goes back to like the idea of don't be afraid to fail. And when you do fail, mm-hmm. um, figuring out ultimately what are the things to take away from that to, to help you be successful in the future will end up determining whether or not that was of, of use to you or not. Yeah, that's really solid, solid advice. Um, Chris, any thoughts? Yeah, that's a great point, Dan. Um, yeah, I was, doing, I was doing a little bit of research before this um, to see kind of what was out there in terms of resources for folks. Um, and the Council of Nonprofits had a great starter guide um, that I think is a good template, especially for like newer nonprofits or folks that have never thought about strategic planning before, um, might want to take a look at. But in terms of like the plan that we do for our team here at Hustle and what we're thinking about, um, I think one thing Dan mentioned earlier is that the corporate world is like very into like strategic planning and has all of their objectives and key results laid out year over year. Um, and something that we always think about when we start each year is first is our mission statement. So like as a team, what we uh, what, what we set out to do over the course of the year. Um, and then from that, we build out our goals, our objectives, and like existing activities that we know that we're gonna build out um, and kind of how that all ties into our mission statement and mm-hmm. the work that we're gonna do um, moving forward. And then lastly, we also take a look at our current resources that we have. So our team members, our tools, that we utilize for like outreach and communicating with folks and how to best implement those into our mission statement and our goals and objectives for the year. I just think that would be a good place to start um, for folks that are just starting and thinking about this. Yeah, yeah and I would add to it, uh, a lot of different organizations and associations that you can join. Some of them have membership fees. Uh, I myself am a member of the ANA Nonprofit Federation on the education committee there. And I can tell you just the 
number of resources out there uh, with that, uh, you know, on the webinars and all the tools, uh, just, and then, you know, other, you know, there's plenty of other great um, nonprofit organizations where, you know, just going to some of those conferences and, and even some of these virtual stuff, a lot of it's free right now. And mm -hmm. there's opportunities to network and meet people and talk and talk to peers about what they're doing. And I think all of it goes into making you a better uh, professional. Yeah. The, you know, obviously last year was different, but those conferences, in-person conferences are so inva invaluable because they provide you with so much content and just materials to learn from, but also the networking events. You get to meet people who have been in the field for, for decades. You get to meet people who are new and they all bring different ideas and, um, and knowledge to the conversation, which I think is beneficial. And also Absolutely. there's like in the social media realm, there's so many Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups and there's so they're so active because people are so passionate with what they do and they want to grow and they want to get better. And I, I would advocate for those types of groups as well. All right, great. So I know we talked a little bit about technology earlier, but I just want to dive into it just a little bit more. You know, we've had such an interesting past year and technology was the kind of one thing that really helped nonprofits survive and, you know, maybe thrive. But I think that, you know, Dan, we talked earlier about it, how, you know, picking the right technology can be super intimidating, especially with all the different types of platforms out there, all the different types of brands and vendors. <laughs> what What is your advice? And maybe what is your kind of thought process for when you guys are picking up new technology at DAV? Yes, uh, it is interesting because for me, I mean, I feel like I'm always looking at new tools, right? And I think we hit on it earlier in the podcast. It's like, as soon as you get something new, there's <laughs> like, it's, it's just like a car. It's like, once you drive it off the lot, man, it's, um, I would say for, first of all, is the best thing to do is to really just do as much research as you can. Uh, if you are looking at tools that you have an existing tool uh, and you're looking at potentially replacing that, uh, you need to look at, you know, what are, make a list. Like, what are the most important things about that tool for you? What what doesn't it do that you would like to have it do? Mm -hmm. um, those are those are key things because if, if you can figure that stuff out before you start looking for something, I think it will help you let, find something that's going to really make a difference for you in the long run. I'm, you know, at DAV, I'm fortunate enough uh, to where we have a department that basically helps us analyze new tools. Um, so I, I don't have to worry as much about doing it all alone. And um, it's always good to surround yourself with people that are a little bit smarter than you in, in something. Um, that's why I work with Chris on texting, right? Because, uh, you know, you always want to try to put the best people around you. And if you don't have those resources inside your organization, try to reach out to some other organizations, maybe ask for a list of references from that potential new um, vendor that you're looking to work with of other nonprofits. So you can talk to somebody in your field and, and learn about how they dealt with it because mm -hmm. um, sometimes you just need more um, more information or, or more people's thoughts on things before you can really come to that opinion all on your own of, of what's the best. But uh, And then finally, I would say, don't try to get yourself, and this isn't just nonprofit. I mean, this is how I look at uh, really everything. I'm not going to try to commit too long to something that uh, I'm not entirely sure about, right? So working on a, a smaller length of a contract initially uh, as we get back into, you know, feeling it out, testing it out, seeing how it goes, 
sometimes uh, working out those types of agreements really are helpful. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I also think that, I mean, I think a lot of tech solutions too kind of pitch themselves as um, a silver bullet. It's like any challenge that an organization's facing, but in reality, I mean, I think any new technology that nonprofits adopt should layer into their existing framework and complement the work they're already doing. Um, and part of that is also finding a partner at a vendor that is willing to help you get up and running from the get-go. So having, when looking for a new tool, like figuring out like, oh, like after I commit to utilizing this tool, like what resources do you offer me to like help get started? Um, yeah. so I think those first like few months, like using a new tool, figuring out how it works are really important into how you will eventually develop, develop it into your team. Um, so like that's something too that we should look at. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great. Um, all right, awesome. So, you know, we've talked about a lot today and I like to ask this question to all of the guests that come through the nonprofit voice. And, you know, it can be a hard question because it's hard to pick just one thing. But we've talked about a lot of great stuff today. Dan, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to nonprofits from our conversation, what would it be? I think it is to really let the donors know how important they are, right? Uh, to to should let your impact be front facing. Um, you know, at DAV, we, we help all the veterans we do. We couldn't do any of it without the generous um, contributions that are made from our supporters. And, you know, a lot of times in messaging, uh, on web websites, social, whatever you're at, it's, we're always so anxious to tell people about all the great things we do. Uh, we don't really put the donor ahead of that. And, um, you know, let them, as I said, I mean, we're already doing it now with uh, coming up with all these different ways to support our organization. Let the donor feel like they're they're a part of the organization. And um, really, at the end of the day, just stay true to that mission. And yeah. I, I think the more uh, nonprofits that uh, can do that and can show that, the more success ultimately will come for not just them, but for obviously the people they're helping. Love that. How about you, Chris? Yeah, um, yeah, mine actually kind of tied into what Dan was saying as well. I know we've spent a lot of time um, today devoted to talking about fundraising, um, but I think that one thing folks should always remember is that supporters and donors that they're working with on a day-to-day -day basis are people too. Um, with that in mind, a lot of nonprofits that I work with especially have done a lot of work in the last year, just reaching out to folks, asking them how they're doing, and not necessarily always having like a hard ask in mind with a donor support or a pledge support, but really always check in with your folks, um, let them know that you're thinking about them. And I think that 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 kind of touch point always plays off or plays well in the future. Um, so as always remember your donors. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think at the cusp of it, like the core of it, nonprofits fundraising, it's all about relationships, making sure you're acknowledging the people who make this work possible and and just recognizing them and appreciating them and just not making it all about asking for money all the time. Um, because, you know, donors have evolved and now having relationships with these donors and these supporters is more than just, just asking for money. They want to feel appreciated or they want to see where their money is going towards. So just keeping those things in mind, I think is super important. So I, I'm glad you guys both touched on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So that about wraps it up for today's episode. First, I want to thank our listeners for listening in on today's podcast. And Dan and Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you both on. 
I wanted to, you know, extend my thank you for joining me today, the nonprofit voice, and sharing your insights and your expertise on fundraising and relationship building and technology and leadership. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's great being here. Awesome. So on behalf of Nonprofit Pro, we will see you on the next episode of the Nonprofit Voice. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Nonprofit Voice. You can listen to more episodes of the Nonprofit Voice at nonprofitpro.com slash podcast slash the hyphen nonprofit hyphen voice. And remember, for your convenience, you can stream any and all episodes of the Nonprofit Voice on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify.